weird feeling. The cabin starts to shake, right? And, and the, the left side blows up, and then the whole plane just explodes. The plane's gonna explode! It's not a joke! It's not a joke! We get thrown off the plane all because Brownie has a bad dream? <sighs> I saw it. The plane! It's gonna blow up! It's gonna blow up! All 287 passengers are feared dead. Because of you, I'm still alive. Hello, and welcome to the Ghouls Gang podcast where we make sculptures out of scrap metal to communicate our innermost feelings. <laughs> in, in July, we are snuggling up in our PJs and decompressing after the first half of the year, and we are indulging in our favourite feel-good films. And here to discuss today's film with me is none other than one of the most deep-thinking and extraordinary writers that I know in horror, and she also happens to be a very good friend of mine. We will forever share our passion and bond over final girls. <laughs> Welcome, Jen Adams. Hi, Jen. Hello. I'm bl- you can't see, but I'm blushing. That was so sweet. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, and where Jen is, it's like the sun's just coming up, or maybe it's <laughs> It's not even up yet, I don't know, but like it is up, yeah. It's up, okay. It's officially daylight, okay. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jen, for like taking time out of your your Sunday lion to be with me today. It's hugely appreciated. Oh, of course, I'm excited. (laughs) So, um, we are turning the clock back to the year 2000, and uh, I can hardly believe it's 22 years ago. I know, yeah, (laughs) we're old. I'm like, sweet 2000, that's like maybe 10 years ago maximum now, sadly not. Um, No, 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 (laughs) yeah. So, um, Jen, uh, tell us what film we're going to discuss today, and maybe just give us a, a brief synopsis to refresh our memories. We are talking about Final Destination, the original film with uh, my dream crush, Alex, um, <laughs> a.k.a. Devin Sawa, I, who I love, love, love. Um, so this is Alex is a high school senior about to go on a trip to Paris for, I think, 10 days with his high school class or like 40 kids from his high school class. And while he is boarding the plane, he has a dream that the plane explodes. And so then he wakes up and he freaks out and he gets off with about five of his fellow students. And then the plane does explode. And everybody's like, ah. Um, (laughs) And and then (laughs) so because they have escaped death, death comes back to get them in the order that they would have died on the plane. So and then. Yeah, the rest is history. And it does get them all. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers, yeah. <laughs> Super duper. So um, did you ever go on any school trips or anything in high school? I did. I actually went to Paris on <gasps> a school trip in oh my eighth God. grade. I know. <laughs> so that's part of why, like, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh, I went to Paris. Yeah, but I went on some school trips in middle school. And then... I was in touring choirs all through high school. So we got to go, we went to a lot of places, like um, went to Austria and Germany one year, and then we went to Vancouver one year and and Boston and 
So a lot, we went on lots of tours. Like I traveled much more in high school and middle school than I have for the rest of my life. <laughs> very well traveled uh, <laughs> teenager. Yeah. Wow. Um, so tell me then, why did you pick this film? Like when I come to you and I said, Jen, I want to talk to you about like feel good horror. And you were almost like straight away, like final destination. Like what's the reason that you picked this film? Yeah, it's funny because this is not one that I talk about often as one of my favorites, you know, and I don't consider this my favorite, although it does fall into my favorite horror genre, which is 90s horror. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because I was in high school at the time and it's when I really fell in love with the genre. And there's like a safety, I feel like, to 90s horror. Like, yeah, a lot of it doesn't really go too hard, you know, and it always kind of has this glossy feel to it that just kind of makes it feel more like a magazine than an actual Mm. situation that I'm living in, you know? Um, But so when I, like, this is a go-to for me when I need to just get some stuff done. I need something (laughs) in the background to like really kind of take my mind off of like all of the things that I let myself stress out about in the background of my mind. (laughs) Um, It's not my favorite. So I don't get sucked into it, you know, like, I I was I think I was thinking about Cabin in the Woods, which is a, probably my favorite horror movie. And then I was thinking about Urban Legend and Scream. But I feel like when I watch those movies, I keep getting pulled into them. Like I want to make it an event that I get invested in. And something mm-hmm. about this movie like lets me not really invest in it too much and just kind of enjoy it and let it kind of wash over me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the the formula of it, like the the mm-hmm. spacing, I think is really, um, I find it really relaxing. And you know, there's that moment when the plane actually does explode that is like my favorite moment in horror. I think so. That wow. always feels really good. <laughs> I know because it's like they like nobody believed him, and then it turns yeah. out he was right. You know, mm-hmm. and I just I love that. You know, just all of the looks that they all give him. It's just like we. They, I'm glad we believed you, even though I don't think they see it that way right then. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting what you say about sort of 90s horror feeling a bit sort of softer, not going too far. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I was I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about how you know we had the sort of like the 70s and the 80s and the video nasties and things being slightly more sort of gruesome, and then the, the 90s was really sort of a shift away from that, and mm-hmm. so, and then I think come like the sort of 2000s 2010s things you know started to shift again away from the softer side and into the sort of you know I wouldn't say extreme but you know like films like sort of sore and 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 the sort of torture porn films mm-hmm. sort of are, are in a completely different category yeah. um so yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was say, it's funny because this, I feel like this film is kind of a bridge between those, you know, because this is mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't necessarily call it the birth of torture porn, but it shares a lot of elements with, yes, like, like hostile, like, and saw especially because of like yeah. the elaborate nature of the deaths in this. Um, and when I think about it, like, I feel like Scream is a pretty horrific movie and I don't know what it is quite about 90s horror it's just there's a an underlying feeling of like everything's going to be okay in the long run kind of even though like I think we're meant to think that everybody in this movie dies 
it doesn't feel as brutal or as punishing as a movie like Saw and Hostel does. It doesn't feel like the design of this movie or of 90s horror in general is to punish the the characters, you know? No, and I think, like, the, a lot of that for me is, like, the aesthetic as well. And the aesthetic in these 90s mm-hmm. horrors is quite glossy and pristine. And mm-hmm. I think that sort of plays into that element of comfort that, you know, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So... Like I was looking up this this film and like the sort of franchise in general, and you know it's hugely successful, but equally it seems to be incredibly divisive as well. Why do you think that is? Um, I well personally I don't know a, a lot of people that don't like the first one. I think it kind of veers into the sequels because there are five other sequels to this. Um, and I think the sequels start to get into like more of the, the saw sequel traps that it like becomes more about the elaborateness of the death than it Mm -hmm. does about the actual story. Um, and I feel like this is, it's, I mean, it's a teen slasher, you know? So I think there are a lot of people that are going to dismiss that movie just out of hand because of what it is. Like, I don't feel like. I feel like this movie really touches a lot of deep themes, but doesn't really interrogate those themes too much, which is partly why I like it, because I don't really want to do that all the time, especially when it's a theme about like, we're all going to die. Like sometimes (laughs) I don't want to think too much about that. Um, But I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's just because like a movie like this is easy to dismiss as being like, an, a kind of a cash grab or like mm-hmm. a, um, you know, just a, 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 another carbon copy of a teen slasher, you know, although I think there's a lot more to it than that, you know. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of people just kind of were at this point where there was this attitude of, oh, we're done with slashers now. And it's like, yeah. You know, I'm personally, I'm never done with slashers. So. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I'll watch them till I die. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say that on, like, I'm watching this on DVD um, mm-hmm. and my DVD has some very interesting extras on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so one is a death clock. Right? <laughs> right. Oh, I was like, shall I or shall I? And I was like, oh, I'm doing the podcast. I probably should. <laughs> so I can report back on like what mm-hmm. the hell this is. So it asks me some questions which date the the film itself just the questions so it, it asks me like my general health condition how often I exercise oh my God. weight <laughs> yeah my weight my lifestyle uh my favorite foods do I smoke cigarettes <laughs> do oh, I have no. like a history of illness in my family I'm like wow I hope this isn't like going to some sort of you know this totally. data, yeah, this data is not being sold on. <laughs> I know, like the big final destination corporation or something. Yeah, what if, what if, what wow. if that's what it is? Um, so according to <laughs> Does it according, tell you when you're gonna die? It does, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I'm already dead, so <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were a ghost. That's, that's why we couldn't connect at the start of that's this. That's right. But it is. I'm coming from the grave. Oh, so yeah, really? apparently Sunday, so Sunday the 9th of March 2019 is the, uh, <laughs> the date of my death. So perhaps, hmm. 
perhaps I'm recording this from beyond. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca's been dead for three years. <laughs> wow that's I mean that's a big swing to put that as a feature (laughs) (laughs) so um let's get on to our discussion of the film then so I wanted to talk about the opening Mm -hmm. because I think it's a fantastic tone setter and Mm -hmm. you know we see a string of events and I think for me as someone who um is always trying to navigate anxiety in my day-to-day life. You know, I read a lot of this through that sort of lens. You know, we've got like luggage labels being torn off, alarm clocks going off, cancellation of flights, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a lot of, I guess people would say they're, some people may say they're almost like premonitions or, you know, bad omens. And other mm-hmm. people might say, oh, these are just coincidences. But whatever they are, they put me on edge. So mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's a great way to open. Um, and then we get into sort of Alex's like premonition, like his like dream that he has the of the, the plane crash, you mm-hmm. know? And for me, it's like, this is really, the way I saw this was like, it's almost to me, I do like worst case scenarios in my head on a daily basis. Uh-huh. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I really felt like, I really felt aligned with that in 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 the film, and then um, yeah. a confession for me as well that flying is my one of my greatest fears. Like I'm oh, really terrified of flying. Yeah, like I recently flew to uh, Belfast and mm. I was crying for most of the flight. <laughs> it's like oh, I'm sorry. yeah, it's so that you know in terms of final destination it's like wow this is like one of my major fears (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and I feel like it is I mean I've never been on a plane that explodes as Todd asks Alex you know like oh have you been through this before um yeah but yeah my husband is very afraid of flying also and when we flew to Hawaii when we got married which I know is you know I don't think we would choose to get married there now (laughs) but um but we did 10 years ago and um, he was very, very nervous to fly the whole time. And I feel like I was not as um, accommodating because I love it. I think it's really fun. Like, I, I don't want to say I think it's like a roller coaster. but it's just, <laughs> Like, I'd rather fly than be in a boat because I'm afraid the boat is going to sink. But I'm not afraid. That, and I don't I don't know what it is about it that just doesn't connect with the fear. But I feel like this is a really, um, like, authentic feeling plane crash, you know, yeah. like. When I think about plane crashes on film, this is one of the ones that comes to mind, you know. Yeah, and to give you that so soon, you know, out straight out the bat, it's like it's not really built up. It's like it's boof, it's like straight away to really hit yeah. you with the scene, which like after all the stuff that we said, like puts you on edge and then you've just got wow, like first you've got the obviously the premonition itself, and then you sort of come out of that and you go, Oh, exhale it's okay it wasn't real and yeah (laughs) so you've got Mm -hmm. that space and then the coming to terms with the fact that actually no it does happen it's Mm -hmm. yeah like I don't want to say roller coaster either especially when we're talking about final destination (laughs) right (laughs) exactly oh my god I had to leave the room for that third in that scene in the third (laughs) yeah that freaks me out more than many things (laughs) 
And so we get to see Alex's parents, who are like the most parents' parents ever. (laughs) (laughs) But the moment where they walk into the room and they hug him always strikes me, you know, it's like, because it's so like, I just now that I'm a parent too, I'm like, oh my God, I can't Mm. believe like finding out this thing happened and then like realizing that my child got off the plane, you know, that's just feels like this miracle that just you wouldn't, that would never happen, you know? Yeah, and I think they make a they make a comment in the sort of early part of the film to Alex when he's about to go off on his trip, and they say, you know, live it up, Alex. You've got your whole life ahead of you, and it's mm-hmm. like, it, it to me it just like reminds me that these are young people, and mm-hmm. what they're going to be exposed to at that age is like it's that feeling of just because you're young, it doesn't mean that you know you're invincible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like this is the age where you really start, like, this is kind of at the threshold of that, you know, like, yeah. still living in his parents' house, they still come pick him up, you know, so he's still living under their shelter um, in a lot of ways, and maybe I think if I were looking for a deeper theme in this movie, maybe it is that, like, the real world is is real, and it's, like, mm. the consequences there are forever sometimes and it's just it's a lot scarier than um than you know a lot of earlier stuff or like living in your parents house and there's nothing wrong with living in your parents house um but it's just like venturing out into the real world and how like you start to see the consequences of every choice that you make because you are the one that is going to feel it and there's no one to to protect you anymore you know yeah absolutely it's like I'm just thinking of like Nancy and Nightmare on Elm Street and it's like mm-hmm. being on that cusp that age and realizing for her I guess it's about you know people people are human and people let it down and it's like it, it's coming out of that comfy blanket of yeah being like a child isn't it and realizing that gosh the world's my parents may have protected me from but the world is a very dark and chaotic unpredictable place right yeah and it, there's only so much that people can protect you or that you can protect yourself. And I feel like they're like, cause I also deal with a lot of anxiety and, um, and recently have realized that I've been, <laughs> been dealing with OCD and like magical thinking is something that I think I've been dealing with for most of my life and not really realized it. So like a lot of those ominous things are things that I would latch onto also, you know, like the tiny little message of like, oh my God, mm. it's the, my birthday is the same time. Like that has <laughs> yeah. to mean something, you know, even though yeah. most of the time it doesn't. And so I think this movie in a lot of ways is like a catharsis for that. It's like practicing, like living out the worst possible thing that can happen, knowing that it's not actually me, you know? Oh, absolutely. In terms of it being, you mean in terms of like your relationship to the film, it's like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you can keep repeating that experience. But yeah, no, it's yeah, totally. I think that's one of the things that I love about slashes in in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like on our um, on psychoanalysis. Laura has a lot of catastrophic thinking um, and that's something she shared. I'm not sharing it for her. It's not like a private thing that she shared that I'm sharing with us of everyone. But we've talked about that because it's not necessarily something that I suffer from. Like I don't tend to think about the worst possible thing that could happen. I just fixate on the thing that I'm most afraid of, which is usually that somebody is mad at me. But um, 
I, she, so we talk about that, like what is a good way to kind of handle that? And Mike often suggests like following it through, like, okay, well, what if this did happen? What yeah. is the logical conclusion of that? And I feel like this movie lets us do that, you know, in several different examples, you know, it gives us like, what would happen if I got stuck on the train track? You know, what would it, what would happen mm. if I were on a plane that mm-hmm. we're going down? Or if I, if I got hit by a bus, you know, what, what is the logical conclusion of these things? And so we get to see that. And then there's something about, even though it shows us our worst fear, it, there's still like a, a release, I think, you know, and that's what the feeling of relaxation is, you know? Yeah, we can. It allows us to do those sort of thought exercises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but without any harm, right? Right, exactly. Without <laughs> it ever connecting to our lives, you know. And I think maybe that's that's one of the things. Like when I talk about '90s horror having this kind of glossy feel, is like I feel like it. I don't necessarily feel like I am in the movie in a way that I feel like a lot of other movies will draw me in. You know, like I feel like I am watching Friends, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like other than Sydney, I don't ever really feel like I am Helen Shivers in um, I Know What You Did Last Summer or, you know, I just feel like it feels very packaged in a way that lets me stand outside of it instead of getting sucked into the middle, you know. Yeah, packaged is such a good way to describe it. Yeah. So in terms of our characters, then, so we've got we've got Alex, who's <laughs> our sort of main Oh, he's he's our main guy. And he's my main guy. Sorry, I'm giggling because I just have such a huge crush on Devin Sauer. <laughs> in his stripey jumpers, his stripey mm-hmm. Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was like every guy I had a crush on in high school wore those. Because I graduated <laughs> in 99, so this was like, he was my age, you know. And, and did they put gel in their hair as well, Jen? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was very much like I went to school with all of these people. <laughs> and then we've got sort of the friendship group around him. We've got Billy, Todd, Carter, who I love to hate. And oh, then we do. <laughs> then we've got Terry. And then sort of on the periphery of that, we've got Clea, who comes to be you know, a more important person in Alex's life, and then mm-hmm. the teacher, Miss Luton. Um, so I just wanted to point something out that I had spotted that stupidly I've never picked up on before. But a lot of these names are like associated with people connected to horror and suspense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So like Valerie Luton and Val Luton, you know, producer, uh-huh. screenwriter, who worked on things like Cat People and Seventh victim and then obviously mm. Billy Hitchcock so it's got those <laughs> associations with like suspense and psycho mm-hmm. uh Terry Cheney who has like obviously the connection there to Lon Cheney who starred in lots of silent horror films like Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom mm. of the Opera and then um Todd Browning we've got Alex Browning you know Todd was like director of a huge number of films including Freaks and Dracula so I like yeah. that I always I like it's just it's the geek in me that comes out it's <laughs> fun yeah I knew I didn't know all of those I knew um Luton and Hitchcock and Browning but I didn't know um about Terry Terry mm. oh gosh Chaney Chaney that's right yeah yeah um <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times that bugs me, but it doesn't bug me here. You know, like I, I love it because it's not like I'm thinking about Scream 3 where the names are Same. just like, come yeah. on. 
<laughs> but here it's just such a fun little wink because other than Hitchcock, like unless you know, you're not going to pick it up, you know. Yeah, that's it. It's subtle. It's not sort of thrust in your face. Exactly. And it's thematic, too. Like you were exactly. saying, like, I feel like Hitchcock, there's a lot of, like, Hitchcock elements. Obviously, you would probably know more about that than I would, uh, because you're a lot more of a Hitchcock scholar. But um, it, it's, that is what I think a lot of this film is, is the suspense. And that's what I think the first one is very successful at is like building this up and like mm. really making everything ominous in a way that doesn't feel like, I don't feel like this is a super bloody movie, you know, no. compared to some of the later ones, you know. But it's like, it, once you've seen, once you get the sort of gist of, right, okay, this is the, a pattern and these deaths are going to happen. Mm-hmm. It really like you're watching and you're, th- that suspense is just there, like, constantly and like I guess we'll touch on it in a in a moment or two mm-hmm. but it's like that feeling that death is everywhere and could mm-hmm. happen at any time yeah so um thinking about Alex then so mm-hmm. um he seems to be like I really I really associate with Alex because he seems to be the slightly less cool teenager like, <laughs> mm-hmm. And a bit anxious as well, um, which I can totally empathise with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then once we see, as you've already said, like once you see his premonition come come to be true, and then the the sense of him quickly becoming almost like an outsider because mm-hmm. of his premonition and the FBI and how they treat him and how he's sort of shunned by his like friends and the school community. Um, I, I really feel like Alex is a character that straight away I emotionally feel for. Yeah. Um, you know, he's an outsider and he's blamed and he's alienated. So mm-hmm. I think that that just helps us as an audience to feel like aligned with him. What, yeah. what what are your thoughts on Alex and his journey? Well, aside from my huge crush, um, <laughs> I I feel like for a long time I didn't understand why they were so um they why they ostracized him or why they were so angry with him. Um, like as I was watching it as a teenager, I was like, he just saved your life. Why aren't you happy? Why aren't mm-hmm. you like hugging him and saying thank you? And I think now that I'm a little older, I realize like the that it's not really about him. It's that he is the focal point of all of this like horror and like this narrow escape that they just made. Um, And like, as it's been a while since I've actually watched this with a critical eye, you know, and actually Mm -hmm. thought about performances and thought about the moments, but like the moment, I just think about that moment where the plane explodes so much. And I think about like all of the emotions that would be going through their heads, especially for Todd, whose brother is still on the plane. And then for um, Miss Luton, who all of her students and her fellow teacher, like just, the amount of guilt that they would have, even Mm -hmm. though they're so happy to be alive, like that all of this survivor's guilt, they don't know how to deal with it. And they just focus it all on Alex. And that's not fair to him at all. But I mean, none of it is really fair, you know? And so I think I feel, yeah, I really feel for him a lot because he didn't really do it. He didn't do anything wrong. Nobody, nobody really in this movie does anything wrong. Like there are no bad guys, you know? And, and so I feel, but he is the kind of anomaly, you know, he's the one that kind of 
figures out this design by accident and just happens to cause all of these ripples and really cause them to think about their lives, you know, and it's like, when you have a friend that has something really tragic happen to you, sometimes it's, it feels like a, a, a lot of emotional energy to engage with that because you start thinking, well, what if that happened to me, you know, and, mm. and they are in that situation. And as selfish as that sounds like that's a, that's a real human emotion. It's like, I, I want to go back to my life where I can just pretend that death is not around me every day. And I can't now. And it's because of what you did, even though I would be dead without what you did. Now I am living in this, like, like uh, Carter, it gets like really swept up in this, like I'm this terror of not being able to control his destiny. And I feel like yeah. Alex is the catalyst for that. And he gets blamed for it when it's really just life. He's just causing them to think about their lives in a more um, finite way, you know? Yeah, I totally agree, especially in, in the sense of, you know, that sort of survivor's guilt and mm -hmm. all, having all that emotion and, and not knowing where to put it and how to process it. Mm -hmm. And I guess Alex is the natural, it's the natural direction to push that towards. And I think, you know, once one or two people start doing that, it becomes easier for other people to think, okay, that's, you know, that's the direction that I need to put my feelings in. Mm -hmm. Um. So there's there's one person then who doesn't alienate themselves from Alex, and that mm -hmm. is Claire. Claire, Rose. yeah. Um, so the nineties name ever too. <laughs> yeah, totally. Is. I always just crack up because I thought it was Claire for a long time. Same. And yeah. I was like, oh wait, no, it's Claire. Really? <laughs> hey, and if you're listening and your name is Claire, it is a beautiful name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. Um, so. What are your thoughts about Claire then? And, you know, why specifically, then let's start with why do you think she gets off the plane? Well, I think when I think about who I was in high school and who I am now, I think Claire is much more who I am now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, like, I think in high school, I probably would have been more like the other kids and I would have been like, let's just keep going because she is the only one that chooses to get off the plane because yeah. she just she's like I felt I felt what you felt and because I think she's opened herself up to that and I think mm -hmm. the reason as we find out later is because she's she's already been through this tragedy so she knows that death is real you know she knows like she's she doesn't live in that bubble anymore and so mm -hmm. when she sees things that make her wary she acts on them because she is not as easily able to dismiss that as like, oh, it's just, I'm just nervous or like, oh, that's not really going to happen to me, you know, like we all like to think. And so I think mm. she is much more willing to go with the flow because she realizes that she um, she is not in control, you know, that that there are, I mean, there are things she does control, but the larger ski, like picture of life, nobody really controls that. And so I think she sees like, a, I don't know, I've seen the Northmen recently and I really think about like the women in that movie as like really listening to like the channels of life and following like the threads of where they, their like kind of intuition is telling them to go. And I feel like she really does that. And that's something that I've tried to really, I think I do more as the older I get. And that's more because I think I've been kind of drawn to more mystical stuff. And like, yeah, there, are, there are bigger things in life and that if I embrace them, they're not so scary, you know? Yeah. 
yeah she's like she's a she's not afraid of confronting the harder things is she and Mm -hmm. I feel like as you to echo sort of what you said already I guess it's like I think she feels a closeness to Alex or a connection through her own losses and I feel Mm -hmm. like as as we said before you know Alex is an outsider and I feel Claire feels like she also is an outsider and I think she she identifies with Alex because of that Mm -hmm. yeah they don't have as much to lose I think too like if Mm -hmm. I look at Carter and Terry like they are very much like the popular kids you know and then the teacher it's her job to stay on the plane and so like there are all of these things that are holding them to their chosen course you know like well I'm not especially when you're in high school like I'm not going to get off the plane because what would that say about me you know what would everyone think and I think Claire just doesn't care so much and Alex I think I think he kind of sits in the middle of like the cool kids and the 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 clear like I don't think he is on clear's level of like and I I realize I'm using high school hierarchy levels which I think are you know not good but like I feel like he's kind of in the middle but he's just so scared that he doesn't care anymore you know yeah she's also very like smart as well you know she knows about Mm -hmm. the FBI not investigating suicides Mm -hmm. we see her like doing the welding which is just awesome (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) you know she's a bit of a skeptic as well especially Mm -hmm. to begin with you know she talks about how they they can't make flimsy connections with stuff like such as coffee starts with a c and ends in an e and so does choke so that means they're gonna choke to death it's like Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like facets to a character, I feel, you know. Um mm-hmm. I I identify with it because, you know, I was definitely the sort of sensible bookish one mm-hmm. in, in school in one respect. But then I also feel like there's this other side to Claire as well. Like, you know, it's it's her suggestion to go to the morgue and mm-hmm. she's I feel like doing what she isn't supposed to gives her a bit of a rush. So I feel mm-hmm. like she's a bit of a thrill seeker as well. Mm-hmm. Which I think if you have kind of lived with this, like this real realization that death is around us, like it, it maybe gives you the freedom to kind of embrace life a little more, you know, Mm -hmm. which is funny. Like when Alex his parents, like you mentioned, his parents are like, live it up, Alex, you've got the rest of your life ahead of you. Like, I feel like what we hear a lot more is like, live it up because you never know when it's going to end, you know? And I feel like, that's kind of Clear's philosophy is like, I might as well have fun because who knows what's around the corner, you know? And if it's all going to, if it might all be gone tomorrow, then like the stakes just feel lower, you know? Yeah, I love that. And also, you know, she's the only one who isn't greeted by a family member at the airport, right. mm-hmm. which is just gut-wrenching. I know, know. yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's dealing with, like, loneliness and the aftermath. I was thinking about she's dealing with, you don't see it so much because she just gets dropped off by, I think, Alex's parents. But, mm-hmm. you know, she's walking away and I was thinking she's just gone through what everybody else has. And in the aftermath of that event, she has no real support hmm yeah uh, yeah it is really really heartbreaking especially when you think about the fact that she's probably 17 or 18 you yeah. know and then you think about what else she's had to deal with and I mean I think maybe if I were to really kind of start to analyze her character I think if she has been living without that kind of support and she had to get over the trauma of her, losing her father 
um, at a pretty young age that maybe this thrill seeking could be a way of kind of activating these feelings that she's really kind of repressed for a long time, you know? Mm, yeah, well, that's a really interesting point. I feel like she's lost a lot, hasn't she? And mm-hmm. I think she feels very strongly attached to and protective of what she has created out of that, you know, mm-hmm. and where she's come to. And I think she wants to fight for that. And I see that as tying into her her interest you know her passion as an artist and, mm-hmm. and that kind of occupation of she wants to create she wants to give life to things mm-hmm. yeah yeah and she wants to kind of like she's welding so she's like forming yeah. something in she's taking something and forming it into something else and we see her sculptures which <laughs> side note that scene cracks me up where yeah. <laughs> He goes over, he's like, we've just, we've met a couple of times, but you made this piece of art about me. (laughs) It's so intense. I know, it really is. But I mean, I think if I were looking for like maybe a motive of why that is an art form she's drawn to, it's like taking something that seems like finite and molding it into something else. So that is like this melding thing is an element of control of this like seemingly unchangeable force you know and so by taking like a blowtorch which is like a really powerful tool like she is kind of maybe that's a way that she can kind of channel this lack of control she's been feeling since her childhood you know yeah yeah so um in terms of like thinking I guess we've already sort of touched upon it a little bit but uh, you can't talk about this film without talking about it feels like sort of trauma and anxiety because it's mm-hmm. just pervades it but um yeah so we talked about how like flying is terrifying for me and mm-hmm. you know there's lots about the film that makes me anxious especially in that introduction and just the idea of just the, the flight board just flapping it's oh my gosh it just mm-hmm. induces such <laughs> terror in me and then the baby screaming on the plane and the mm-hmm. pr- prophetic fallacy of the weather outside and it's just like and Alex sort of struggling to breathe I'm like that is totally me on a plane <laughs> <laughs> you know looking around to see what everybody else's reaction is mm-hmm. um so and we've talked about how that sort of fit that premonition scene and then the actual plane itself combusting it's, it's such a high impact scene and it puts mm-hmm. us in this position of anxiety having seen the premonition to see mm-hmm. is that going to be real uh, yeah <laughs> which I think is a really interesting position to put us in but um mm-hmm. what I also think it creates a fear of is like everyday objects right it's like uh-huh. <laughs> everything's dangerous and it's like you know you can try and avoid things but there's always going to be a potential way of death to to get you and yeah and you know also how like one event can dominate somebody's life and it's mm-hmm. like especially when I think about Miss Luton you know mm. she's totally broken by what has happened and you know what she sees wrongly as her role in her like colleague's death so mm-hmm. much that like she needs to move and you know because she talks about like the reminders of everything every day yeah. so I wondered, like, what what are your thoughts about how trauma is represented in this film? Well, I think we've talked about doing this movie for psychoanalysis, and we probably will get to it at some point, but we've talked about, like, what we would do it 
for like what would the topic be? And I think survivor's guilt is probably the most obvious one. Like I feel like in the wake of this crash, especially someone like Todd and Miss Luton, like they just feel this, like the the weight that you were talking about and just being reminded of it all the time. And the fact that Todd's death looks like he died by suicide. And I feel like that is something Mm -hmm. that you would worry about with someone who is dealing with this kind of trauma. But like the thing I think I most connect with it now is like you were saying, fear of everyday objects and fear of just death lurking around every corner where you least expect it. And that's something that like, you know, I have two kids. And so once you have a baby, like you think about like baby proofing your house and Mm. like this, this corner could kill my kid you know or like if I leave a Lego on the floor or a marble if I'm not watching it every second like it could kill this child that I'm solely responsible for keeping alive and so it just makes you really paranoid like I remember after I had my daughter I was watching the movie uh three men and a baby which is a great (laughs) movie I love it but it's like I had so much anxiety watching that movie because there's a point where Like they just put her on the bed and then they walk away. And like, I had this physical reaction of like wanting to run to the screen and grab the baby so that it wouldn't fall off. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like this and the way that I think I have kind of had to let it go sometimes, because sometimes I have these really um, intrusive thoughts about like terrible things happening to my kids is just saying, I can't control this. You know, it's it. If this happens, I will get through it and it will be a terrible, horrible thing um, that will devastate me, but I can't control it. And I can't, and trying to control it is killing me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't say that to say I didn't baby proof my house because I have, you know, I do as much as I can, but there's, there's just the fact that like living in the world or sending a child out into the world means you're accepting a level of loss of control and there's just nothing you can do about it except just kind of learn to live with it you know and I feel like this movie really channels that in a lot of ways which now I'm thinking about it maybe that's partly why Hmm. I love it so much now you know like before I just loved it because it was a fun movie that had a crush in it you know and now like this really does kind of represent my anxiety of not being able to control things you know Mm, I love that. I love that you're almost like thinking it out as we're talking. I know. <laughs> <laughs> They're the like, best like realizations. It's like they really are. Yeah, you're like, oh, maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about like a relinquishing of control, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which, as you know, now that like I've probably had OCD for like my whole life, or like at least since I was a kid, and just realized it recently. And one of the ways that I found relief from the intrusive thoughts is learning like that I can just let them go like into my head and then back out the other way. And I feel like that's kind of what this movie allows me to do. It says like these are things that could happen, and if they do, you can't control it. So you just have to let let that that fear go back out of your head and then you can keep moving because the reality is most of the stuff is not going to happen to us. You know, mm. we're going to get through our day yeah. and we're going to be fine. And, you know, maybe we'll spill coffee on ourselves, but we're not going to like die in some horrible coffee choking accident. Like that might happen at some point in our lives. Like we're, we are all going to die, but most of us aren't going to die today, you know? And so I feel like I'm jinxing 
know, I'm already dead, so I'm I'm good. Well, that's true. So you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's like this movie. I think confronts us with this lack of control and says, "This is what happens when you try to control it." You know, it's that it it's gonna you can't. You know. Yeah, it's fascinating. Just the the power of horror that it enables us to to go through those processes and have that sort of almost therapeutic experience. Totally. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about death, then um, <laughs> it's a nice topic for a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, isn't it? Um, right, right, yeah. <laughs> um. So what's interesting about I guess what differentiates this film from other sort of even if you're going to call it a slasher, but other films that have similar structure, let's say, is that um, here the villain is completely faceless and doesn't have a human form, mm-hmm. um, which is like a, quite a departure from other films that we know and love. And it makes me think about, and now just after what y- you've just commented about control, it's making me think about how how can we and probably we shouldn't try and fight things that are invisible and out of our control and maybe metaphysical mm-hmm. um you know death as a character although faceless kind of is like I said earlier it's like just pervades the whole film it's like it's not it, it's not a human form that's there but I feel that it's everywhere like it's in the air it's just it's all around and yeah. I think you can feel that from from the opening credits even you know especially mm-hmm. like on repeat viewings I just feel like there's this chilling omnipresence you know um mm-hmm. and I think it like the film encourages a bit of a a curiosity towards death as well like mm-hmm. you know especially we're talking about these teens sort of coming of age and it's like at that age, I certainly found myself sort of thinking more deeply about death than I had done before, mm-hmm. you know, and becoming maybe preoccupied with it. And I think this film explores the idea of like death's relationship with order and chaos as well. Mm-hmm. And like, especially through like the notions of the design and stuff. Um, so I wondered, what are your thoughts about how death is? I'm almost feeling like I'm when I say death I see you know like someone with like a like a sickle and a dog oh yeah Uh like (laughs) Like a grim reaper but um what are your thoughts on how death is presented in this film as I don't mean as a character but as a sort of presence as like a a thematic kind of thing yeah um well I think you know you and I well I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but like I've been really kind of delving into tarot cards recently. And, you know, the death card is one of the tarot cards. And so I've just been really drawn to that one a lot. And like once you start kind of learning more about tarot, you realize that it's not um, it doesn't mean actual death. Like that card does not represent death. It represents no. change and like a, a shedding of skin. And so like in a lot of like places like in the last couple of years I've just been in places where I was really unhappy with my life and so I look at that card and I've like really welcomed it and I said oh this represents a change and it's a change that I can have control of you know and I think sorry I feel like I'm connecting I'm 
shooting out into a couple of different directions, but it's going to connect in a minute. (laughs) And then I remember a long time ago when I was first started a Stephen King chronological reread, I was reading Salem's Lot. And there's a really upsetting scene about parents who are not very good parents. And there's a baby that suffers a lot in that book. And I had a young child at the time. And I remember asking a friend, like, how do you read this and not get really upset? Like, is this really hard for you to read? And he said, no, it just makes me really glad for what I do have now, you know, because it shows me what an alternative is. And so I feel like the the feeling of death in this movie, it's like, like if there is a face to it, because there isn't, but the closest I think we come is Tony Todd, who is just like another one of my, great Mm -hmm. loves of horror because I just Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with Candyman and I just love him so much but he is not really a villain he is just kind of a reminder of like this could all be gone so let like embrace like what you have today which is life like you're you're still alive so do something exciting and I think we see that at the end, but I think if I think about what the theme of death is, it's like the realizing that death is a part of life and that change is a part of life and that I can't change that. Like the opposite of, it's like when people complain about getting older, like I think, well, the opposite of getting older is dying. So like, <laughs> I'm I'm happy that I'm older, you know, cause I'd rather be older than be dead. And so I think this movie really in a dark and kind of weird way causes me to really think about the things I do have in my life. Like I have today and I'm have like this coffee I'm drinking and I enjoy that, you know, and I'm talking to you and I'm enjoying that, you know, and like, there's a lot of things that I have that I can be grateful for. And these reminders, like the tiny little, like the thumbtack that might end be the cause of my death could be a reminder that I could, I should celebrate the life that I have, you know. Oh, I love that. Jen, I feel like you've brought what was potentially a very dark discussion (laughs) (laughs) out into the light. (laughs) Oh, because I mean, if you really like it, and I don't know, I do kind of, you know, as somebody who like is fascinated with occult stuff, like I think about what, what is beyond death. And I, I feel like the movie doesn't really explore that too much, but you know, it's just, there's so much that we don't know. And I think the fear is this not knowing. And I think the older I get, the more I'm thinking like, it's okay for me not to know some things. Like, it's okay for me not to know when I'm going to die. It's okay for me not to know what is going to happen when I die or what's on the other side of that. And like, just, it's just like, there's a relief in just kind of learning to live with the concept of death that it, and I feel like as Americans, like we don't want that. Like we are terrified of that. And I feel like a lot of other cultures are a lot more accepting of death and as it is, it is more like a transitional phase, you know, and here over in the States, we're just like, we're terrified and we've got to protect ourselves against that at all costs, even if it, means we're not actually living our lives, you know, because I've let anxiety really control a lot of what I do. Like I think about now I and not wanting to go outside for a long time in the past yeah. couple of years, you know, and then I went to a restaurant the other day and I had a lot of fun, you know, it's <laughs> like if I let that fear really take over, then I would be missing that, you know. Yeah. And I was thinking then, so 
I'm fine saying that I've also been exploring tarot cards. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, okay, I feel bad. Sorry, I you, didn't know. You, you haven't out of me, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, and I was thinking then, so um, I had I had a friend of mine, um, Mary Wells, recently read my cards for me. Mm. And the first card was the devil. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so and that's another one that I, like really kind of love now <laughs> yeah and like I, I initially you could be like holy crap <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like the image of it and just everything that's going on and just even outside of that the connotations around mm-hmm. it it could be quite a a alarming thing but in uh, this does actually relate to the film I promise it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me and Jen like writing about terror exactly terror <laughs> podcast um, right no, it's like I'm thinking about like death and having your discussion then about, you know, it helping you to focus on the things that you do have. And that, so there being that presence of dark and light in death. And I think mm-hmm. in tarot cards, even in these ones that can be quite, you know, initially we might want to pull back from them. There's dark and light in, in every card. So yeah. I think there's a nice connection there. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I personally really love the devil card because that that and that has I've drawn that in readings before and it has like my therapist was like, oh, that card gave you permission to do this thing you wanted to do, because it, to me, that represents like liberation in a lot of ways and like chaos, but a chaos that I can choose, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I want to just briefly touch on like the ideas of faith and control and what is meant to be versus mm-hmm. what, what we want to happen yeah um, like, <laughs> and how in the film that's interrupted you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about Carter specifically and yeah like it's do you know it's a testimony to this film that I absolutely, I mean, such a well-drawn character because I, although I'm not American, I recognise that character so well mm-hmm. and loathe that character so deeply. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah. in, in the moment of his, you know, up and coming, you know, his, we should say not his actual death, but his potential death at the train mm-hmm. tracks, I really don't want him to die. Like, yeah. I don't know how mm-hmm. they made me feel like that about Carter, but they did. <laughs> Well, I like I loved Dawson's Creek, and so okay. he will always be Jack to me, and so that's partly why I love him. Um, and I think it's fascinating to see him as a villain here because he's just like he's got this look that is very kind of cold and villainous in a lot of ways, and very haughty. But I feel like he also has a lot of heart, and he's a very relatable character. You know, like. Th- the line he has where he's like, I'm never going to die. Like that sounds like such a stupid line, but that is like, that's a verbal expression of things. I think a lot of us feel like we really don't think we ever are. And then when we're confronted with the reality that like death could actually touch us, it's terrifying. And I think we see him go through that in this movie. And he is one of the, I think he has the biggest arc in the movie of really kind of, learning to just kind of give up this control and being really angry about that. And that's something like I've had some tragedies in my life a while ago and I was so angry because I couldn't 
for a long time, I couldn't figure out why, and there was no way I was ever going to know, you know? And so what allowed me to really get through it was saying, I, I can't ever figure out why, like, I'm never going to figure out the design for this. Um, Cause maybe there wasn't a design and I just have to like, I just have to accept that and let it go, you know? And I think one of the, like, speaking of tarot cards, like, I, when I was doing the paperwork or like the the assessment for OCD, one of the questions that really stuck out with me was this desire to know. Um, and it's a really kind of a vague question, but it made me just think about how much of my time I spend trying to figure out what's going to happen and to make my peace with it. Because I used to say like, before I got married, like if I could just just fast forward 10 years and know it was going to be okay, then I think it would make today easier. And I remember I would, you know, a lot of people do a card a day kind of tarot practice where you pull one card every morning or throughout the day. And I would do that, but I would end up pulling like 10, 20 cards, you know, just trying Mm -hmm. to find some elusive answer. Yeah. (laughs) Like, just tell me just, and I remember like screaming at my cards at one point, like, tell me what to do. Tell me what's going to happen. And that was, I think, a function of my OCD was like this need to know, because if I know I can plan and I can try to control, you know, and it's terrifying to think that you can't, you can't plan for things. But, you know, now that I have gotten on medicine for that, that those thoughts have kind of lessened a lot. And it has allowed me to say, oh, it's, it's okay not to know some of these things, you know, it's, and it actually makes me happier, because it was like consuming my day, you know, this trying to know and trying to control and you just can't, you know, like, despite the the DVD feature, like, (laughs) like, none of us know, you know, and we just, and I feel like the fear of that really, or the, the need to control keeps us from living you know yeah there's like a real discomfort I think in initially sitting with that Uh the idea of like letting go of control or that you can't control everything like especially I'm also like a planner and a like if if plans change really throws me and you know (laughs) it's like yeah (laughs) uh, so but I think there is a real like release and freedom in and I think I everyone's obviously individual but I think for me it comes a lot with age as well and growing Uh older I've definitely something I've become more comfortable in sitting with and going hey you know what I might not know but so what I've got this moment right now and that's what counts right right well and taking it back to Alex and clear too I think like as you age you just encounter those things you know and you you have a tragedy happen and then you get through it. And so that is evidence that you can get through the next one, you know, and I think clear has that evidence a lot earlier than Alex does. And that's why it's easier for her to accept and say, cause she, I feel like she has this really, like you pointed out earlier, she's got this balance of like, here's what I can control and here's what I can't. And I am going to try to control the things I can. Cause like we see Alex go to this cabin and he tries to, keep himself safe and he tries to like put tape on every possible like sharp object or he tries like he's eating cat food with like a plastic spoon and so (laughs) if you think about like it doesn't last very long but if you think about like how long is he expecting for this to last and Mm. what is this life gonna be if this is what he sits in you know and and is that you know I don't want to say that would be better like being dead would be better than that because I don't 
that's not that wouldn't be my choice to make and i don't think that's what the film is asking us to choose but like what is life and then we see like in the second movie clear has like checked herself into essentially a padded room where she's just sitting and living in isolation Mm -hmm. and like i think when she lets herself out she's like this isn't death has still found me you know yeah you know so so before we sort of wrap it up then i wanted to ask would you ever get on a plane again (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to talk Corey into getting on a plane and us going places because I love traveling. But it's funny, like he um, he wants us to uh, go to Florida this summer. And I'm I've lots of thoughts about Florida, but he wants us to go to the beach. And so my first thought is, oh, we're going to get eaten by alligators. Like my kids are going to get eaten by alligators. We can't go to Florida. And like, I don't want to go on a cruise because I'm afraid like the boat's going to sink or something, you know? So, but I, so it's like this actual, like in real time kind of working through this, like, yes, we might get eaten by alligators, but we probably won't. It's probably going to be fine. And I'll just be extra cautious about are there alligators around? (laughs) And as stupid as that probably sounds, like that's how I think I work through this like risk assessment. And is like, is the fun of like letting my kids see the ocean for the first time going to be worth this minute risk that there might be an alligator around, you know? And yes, I know alligators don't live in the ocean, but there are alligators in Florida. Um, But yeah, so I, I think I would. And I think like, I think that's that's one thing I love about the ending of this is mm-hmm. they do go to Paris. Yeah, I was just going to say, we actually get to see them go on a plane again. And part of me is like, what on earth are they doing? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it because it's yeah. like, oh, sorry, I just bumped the microphone. I got so excited. Um, but it's <laughs> like, we, we can't control this. So we might as well live our lives. I think we see yeah. them get full circle to that. And then, and man, I mean, that's one of the things I love about this movie too, is the way it ends, you know, is just him, <laughs> like Carter saying, who's next with the big billboard swinging behind him. It's just... Yeah. It's just perfection. And I think every film after this has tried to capture that. And, it, yeah. Yeah. And you just, yeah. Because it's just, oh, it's just so fun. And I think, like, I don't know, because they do go to Paris and that's where death catches them. And, but I don't, I wonder if they regret it, you know? Like, I guess we don't really get to spend much time with them to know. But it, like, I, I think it would be fun. They like they get to live their lives, and I love that they kind of come to that. It seems like they are much happier, much more relaxed because they think that yeah. they have beat this. But I think what it really is is they've said like beating this is really just kind of accepting that death is going to find them at some point, you know? Because they don't mm-hmm. think they're going to live forever. Nobody is no. going to live forever. I think everybody really kind of fundamentally knows that, um, as much as we want to try to deny it. But yeah, but yet it is quite the end then. And mm-hmm. I, that'd forgotten and, and I was sort of waiting a beat and then boom, the credits come up and I was like, oh gosh, that's the, that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love watching this movie with people who haven't seen it for the first time and just kind of seeing their reaction to the end because it's just, it's it's so dark, but it's so fun and yeah. it does feel dark, you know? Yeah, it almost feels like a nice sort of way to take us out of the world of the film and lead mm-hmm. us back into the real world because it's, right. it's not too heavy and then you've got the cue of the music and 
it feels I don't know like does it make does it make you feel a bit like hopeless or like because it's not uplifting I guess so it's like yeah yeah I feel like I don't know I I think it really kind of doesn't really make me feel hopeful but it also doesn't really make me feel hopeless but I think it is like really a microcosm of the overall theme of the movie is that you can't predict this you can't Mm -hmm. like they're just madly scrambling to try to figure out who's next who's next who's next and I think this is when that kind of fallacy just starts to fall apart yeah there is no next we don't know it's Mm -hmm. and so I think I love that that it ends on that note because like there that's really the lesson that I think I need to learn from this movie it's not how to beat death it's not how to live forever it's how to make peace with the fact that I can't ever know that and I think that the me the movie ends on them just this really crystallized ex- ex- like depiction of that you know like it, it's you're going out into the world and nobody knows who's next but I still want to go to Paris and I still want to live my life you know and so I think I, I come out feeling like, I don't know if I come out feeling uplifted, but I come out like, you know, I don't know. I got a spring in my step and I'm like bopping. I'm like, that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think I've, I've really come full circle with everything and it allows me to like release all of the anxiety, you know? Yeah. So should we get that trip to Paris book then? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to go back to Paris. I took French for five years and cannot speak it at all. Cause I, <laughs> Because if you don't use it, you lose it. And but I mean, I loved it. It was it was gorgeous there. Have you been to France? Yeah, I spent it's time easier in... for you to get there than it is for me. <laughs> yeah, I went to Paris for my thirtieth birthday, which was lovely. And I've also been to Carcassonne, which is the south of France. So it's very sort of medieval. And when I came back from there, I was so just. I loved everything French that I then got myself mm-hmm. a French tutor. So I did like private lessons for oh, two wow. years. Uh-huh. Yeah. But as you say, if you, I had my grammar book and it was like every day, drill, drill. Oh and yeah. Don't do it, it. It just goes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not like a particularly language, like it doesn't come naturally to me no, to speak in different languages. And so, I mean, I can say some stuff like, voulez-vous parler français, I think, or, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it sounds good to me. It sounds good. <laughs> Occasionally I can get some words. Um, and then, yeah. <laughs> so um, have you got any any concluding thoughts, anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to say? Um, well, I kind of wanted to talk just, just briefly about the second one because I, I know that's not the movie we're talking about, but I think I actually – I always have this internal war about whether I like the first one or the second one better because I okay. really love the second movie too. Yeah, tell um, us about that then. Um, there's something about like the highway. The I feel like I kind of consider the films like I know them by their their opening death sequences, you know. <laughs> yeah. And there's something about this highway movie or the sequence that I feel I just find so relatable and I just love it. Um, it's, I don't think it is as good as the first one. I think the first one is a better movie. And I think I prefer the first one as kind of like a microcosm of this concept, but the second one is really fun. And I think mm. it amps up the death a little more yeah. <laughs> without going too heavy into like the, the elaborate unbelievableness. Like I feel like three is when it really starts to get like 
come on, like this propeller is going to like back into this guy's head. Um, which I still enjoyed the third one. And I'm telling you like that roller coaster scene almost makes me throw up because it's so anxiety producing. But um, yeah, I just, I love the second one. I remember the first time I watched it was at the gym. They had a big cardio theater and I was like, oh, this movie is awesome. And then I just kind of, I can't remember if I rented it and just watch it. It's, it's kind of dumb. Like the, the whole um, birth and new life and like whole storyline thing is gets real convoluted, but it's just really fun. I, I enjoy it a lot. I think the first one is better, but the second yeah. one has my heart in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. The third one for me, I really enjoy watching because fairgrounds are something else that I'm terrified of. Oh like yeah. I, I've never been on a roller coaster. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, way too scared. I queued I for one of roller coasters. <laughs> But I didn't, I come out of the queue at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go on, we had this one at Opryland. Uh, it was a ride called Chaos. And I would stand in Chaos. line for oh an hour. Yeah. And it's an indoor one too. So it was like really dark and scary. And I would stand in line with my friends and then just wait on the other side for them. Because I was too scared to go on it. But now I love it. Like I love roller coasters. Now I have not had an opportunity to like consider whether my kids would go on a roller coaster or not. So that might be a different experience, but yeah. yeah. I'm always like, I'll look after the bags. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll wait here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fifth one, I, I enjoy the fifth one a lot too. The fourth one is the only one that I really don't care for. Um, yeah. It, it's one because like nah, I don't know being from the south like I've, I've seen enough NASCAR I think for the rest of my life but um, <laughs> but the fifth one I like I don't want to spoil anything it gets a little dumb too but I love the the loop that it makes if I can yeah say yeah that without spoiling anything so yeah <laughs> Um, well, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, sure. um, you know, I really appreciate you getting up so early. And... Oh, of course, man. I love this movie, so I'll talk about it this time. <laughs> so um, could you just tell people a little bit about what you've got going on at the moment, any up and coming projects, and um, share any of your social handles where we can find you and all your fantastic work? Because I know you've got <laughs> your hands in all the pies. Yes, I do. I have a lot going on, which is something that I'm trying to kind of like, that's that's a function of my need to control, I think, a lot of times as I like just try to do as much as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, you can find me at uh, Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find me hosting the Losers Club podcast, which is about Stephen King. We just interviewed Stephen King, which was oh, super I see cool. Him. Wow. Amazing. I know. <laughs> and we're um, about to cover the Black Phone. June is going to be Blockbuster Month. We're taking a little bit of a break and kind of unlocking some older episodes. But we're going to be covering the Black Phone, which is not Stephen King. It's Joe Hill. Um, and then I think the next book is Everything's Eventual, which is a short story collection that is one of my favorites. I just love it. Um, and then you can also find me co-hosting Psychoanalysis Podcast, which uh, Rebecca has been a guest on. She Ooh. talked about. Uh, Friday the 13th. And uh, so that is a podcast about mental health and horror. So if you like what we talked about today, you'll probably dig that podcast. Um, and we are we're having a heavy month this month. We're talking about uh, suicide. And so we are talking about flatliners. And then tonight we're going to post or we're going to record an episode on Pulse. And then we just cover Blue Velvet. And then our 100th episode is coming up. Wow. So I know. I, can't, I was like, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, I just kind of keep 
your head down and you just keep going, you know, yeah. and then it's like, oh, no, oh my God, we got to figure out what we're going to do. So that's that's going to be fun coming up. But we do a lot of uh, comfort horror episodes where we talk about the horror that brings us relief or brings us joy, you know, and then Final Defamation is definitely one of those for me. So, so yeah, that's where you can find me. And um, I will retweet all of that stuff. So if you follow me at Jim Frato, you'll find it all. Amazing. Um, For me, uh, just a reminder that last month, I, or actually if this goes out in July, I'll just say in May, in May, (laughs) (laughs) cover all my bases, in May, I released a pocket book called Mums and Sons. Yes, it's which looks at familial relationships and horror and that is available from Plastic Brain Press Um, you can find them on socials at Brain Plastic so it's just back to front or you can access it through my link tree which is on my socials which are at Pendle Pumpkin. Um, I'm editing the second volume of Hera's Scream, a horror anthology at the moment. Yay. Yay! So that's exciting. And I've recently had an editorial on Personal Shopper with Dread Central. So check yes. that one out. And you just made me really reappraise that movie. A oh, lot. Really? I didn't like it the first time I watched it. And now it's kind of become a go-to for like ASMR horror for me. So, oh, so thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I had some, one of the ghouls said that to me as well, that they really didn't enjoy it. And then mm. sort of when they read it through the lens of like anxiety, they were like, ah, actually, this is a, a good way in to the yeah. film for me. And I oh. wonder if people don't enjoy it because it does channel their anxiety. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's it. Where I'm just like, bring it on. I want to feel all of the anxiety. As long as it's fictional, I'm good. Totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And finally, just, you know, because there's a very tenuous Hitchcock link with this film, I've got to exploit that. Yeah. And say, say, I have a Women in Hitchcock's film series with Moving Pictures Film Club. So check that out over at movingpicturesfilmclub.com. So thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thanks for all your support. It helps to keep us alive. And don't forget to check out ghoulsmagazine.com for plenty of reviews, editorials and video content. Extra special thanks to my wonderful guest, Jan Adams. I could have talked to you all day from the grave. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was just so much fun. And again, yes, I could talk to you all day too. Uh, In the meantime, Jen and I are keeping our fingers crossed that the stripy V-neck jumper will have a comeback. (laughs) That's true, yes, especially if it is wrapped in Devon's (laughs) out. We can only hope. That's right. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Can you promise me that no one else is going to die? See you soon.